Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Kong, Skull Island. In the year 1973, America lost their first war. If you don't count their involvement in the Bolshevik War, or their involvement in a war in China, or the fact that half of them lost the Civil War, or the fact that 1812 was inconclusive... Well, they don't teach us that in American high school. Oh, I bet they school. don't teach you you ever lose wars. <laughs> you make tactical withdrawals. I mean, even the Civil War, you know, the other side is like, you know, they, it's not over the South will rise again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I've told you about the uh, the Deep South laser shows with the, where, the, where they have the Confederate generals, like, laser march off the mountain. <laughs> yeah, you told me about that one. <laughs> yeah, we don't lose wars in the States, man. <laughs> We didn't lose Vietnam, we just left. We just abandoned it, they said in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> what movie is that? That is, uh, we have Captain Marvel, Nick Fury, and Loki going to Scraw Island. Labored. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that on the crowded train. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> this I'm Luke. Skull, this is Matt. It's, it's Skull Island, of course. Yeah, welcome to our sci-fi sanctuary on Skull Island. <laughs> and because we're dealing with a real dumb monster movie, I thought we'd get a special guest in. We're joined by Jake Rokotansky. Jake, say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. No problem at all. I think we have to wait ten minutes to say what podcast he's from. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we actually do. Yeah, or the 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 algorithms will will come and get you. Uh, it is a podcast that studies a uh, conspiracy movement uh, that may or may not have had a um, a notable presence at the storming of the United States Capitol uh, just last week. I'm so happy that sentence didn't end. It may or may not be true. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you've had some adventures in the past week, have you, or two? <laughs> oh yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, I think even we on on the on the show were surprised to see the amount of QAnon merch uh, in uh, worn by uh, the people who stormed the Capitol. Um, so we've just sort of been yeah scrambling to try to break it down and 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 see how we got to this point i i don't, I don't think even even travis who is our, our resident QAnon expert on the show uh thought that um it would get as bad as it has but here we are and um you know we'll we'll continue to monitor it uh going forward even as a listener it's been a weird experience over the past i think i've listened for about a year and a half going from like oh here's this weird little thing on the internet to like this is something my mum brings up like unprompted right. <laughs> she'll mention QAnon, right. and it's How's this happened? <laughs> They're in the merch. That's not cool. That's like that's like you when you go to a concert, you don't wear the band shirt, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in this kind of concert, I think you you want to wear as much of the band's gear 
uh, as possible. And, you know, if you've got flags, even better. Unless it's a mask that would actually keep people from, like, properly identifying you. No, no, no. You want to reveal your face and say your name out loud multiple times. (laughs) Yes, you want to reveal your face. You want to say your name out loud, the crimes that you're doing. And you want to also reveal the crimes of everybody behind you in your live stream video uh, so that they can be identified by proper law enforcement officials. I think the problem is, Matt, you're thinking of, like, cool bands from the 90s, (laughs) not, like, being brainwashed into a BT. Yes, show, which is the actual mindset. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, this wasn't like a Weezer concert. <laughs> uh, last time I was in the States, I went to... Not a Weezer. Deer Hunter. That's the last concert I saw in the States. Oh, Deer Hunter's great. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2010. It was uh, the... Yeah, it was loud as hell. The Halloween show, too. That was fun. <laughs> Japan. I feel like I had some friends that, that went to that show as well. In Atlanta? <laughs> Oh no! This is no. We're in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. This was an Atlanta show. I'm pretty okay. sure it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I went, I went as, I went as Batman, but it was just like I had like the black devil oh, ears tight. and a and like a cape and a red shirt. And then I stood in the line to the to the restroom with a guy that was actually dressed as Batman and got in, like an <laughs> argument with him about who was Batman. It was great. <laughs> um. Anyway, I, I we talk a little bit about how the movie first came to us. Uh, in my case, I just. I, I didn't see it in the theater, unfortunately. It was, it was a pretty busy summer when this came out, wasn't it? 20, 2017. Yeah, let's see. It was what? It was, yeah, 2017. This is Dunkirk. I just feel like I was overlooked. I think there was a Mission Impossible out. I saw that. I just, yeah. Oh, yeah. This one just kind of got under the cracks. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked the Godzilla, but I guess I wasn't really on board with the uh, Hollywood monster train. But... Yeah, once it once it came on video, I saw it and I, I actually quite loved this one. So, yeah, same. I was telling um, I was uh, say, telling Luke earlier that I I believe the first time I watched uh, Skull Island, I was on an airplane. You know, when you're when you're on a plane, you're a lot more forgiving because you're just so happy to be entertained by anything. You know, that to take your mind off of you know your current flight pattern or whatever. And um, I started watching Skull Island, and I was like, oh, this is. This is like totally up my alley because I was like, there's multiple creatures. I was like, you got Samuel L. Jackson, you have John Goodman. I was like, I was like, oh man, because I, I I can't remember what was the the King Kong iteration before this. Was it Peter Jackson's one? The last one we'd had was the Peter Jackson one. Which, yeah, it was okay. I mean, I don't remember being like blown away by it. Um, and and to me, you know, it's weird. The a big giant gorilla like. It's cool, but it's not my preferred type of creature. I like stuff with, like, you know, tentacles, you know, like, lots of teeth, you know, reptilian style. Like, so this movie, you know, big spider, like, basically everything that you have in this movie is kind of, like, on my wish list of, like, what I want in a monster movie anyway. So I remember watching it on the plane and being like, okay, this screen is not doing this justice. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I get a proper proper viewing uh, device to check this out. Okay, so yeah, I think I guess I'm the only one who saw it in theaters then. But I am, I like I love monster movies. They're my number one jam, and like I actually really did like the Peter Jackson King Kong back in the day. But yeah. now that I look at it after this one, it's kind of pretentious. But <laughs> yeah, I just remember that it was very shiny, like that it was this kind of very bright movie. I mean, I I haven't seen it probably since it came out. Um, I definitely did 
uh, buy and play the King Kong video game that was like the next gen title. I think when like the Xbox 360 first came out, it was out. like yeah, it's like one of the launch games. I yeah, it was like a launch game for the 360, and I definitely got it. Definitely played it. Probably didn't beat it, but I mean, it was only like six or eight hours long, so you might have done. But I remember yeah. that game because I remember it being the big hype. Everyone was playing it, um, and I played the Nintendo DS version. <laughs> where the best the best yeah. graphics are which i still hold is actually pretty decent hey, you said you like but at the time at the time magazines were giving it like 20 percent. <laughs> what what was the like ds version like was it even was it 3d or was it like touchscreen and d-pad to like aim and move <laughs> yeah i never i never wow. made it through a ds uh kind of fps or that sort of game. yeah i mean i had like I guess, 15-year-old's hands, so I could do it. But I think if I tried to yeah. play it with adult hands, it would be pretty painful. <laughs> yeah, I ha- I just had to get, like, this add-on for my Nintendo Switch that has grip, like, actual, like, oh, like the hoary grips on the yeah, back yeah. of it. Yeah, because because otherwise, I was just, like, I got the Switch Lite, and it's just, it's like holding, a, like, a slightly bigger iPhone. Right. Um, but, yeah, feel, I feel the pain. Um, so, yeah, I was there on this film day one, and it's... I mean, I walked in without really expectations. Did you know the plot at all? No, I knew it was going to be... I think I knew that it was set in the 70s, and that it was going to have King Kong in it. See, I just... Okay, I just knew it was going to have King Kong in it, so... Right. You know, once they start going for the whole Vietnam... uh, We'll say tropes. Tropes, there's a good word. Uh, Yeah, Vietnam tropes and... uh, the hollow earth and and all that stuff yeah i was like hey this this is a lot this has a lot more to it and of course uh, we'll get into it in a minute but like everyone's in this movie so yeah <laughs> <that> helps <laughs> every time i watch it yeah I it's an insane cast because <laughs> uh, i guess insane cast. i guess a few of them since the movie has come out have like probably ticked a few boxes up in the uh yeah in the in the hollywood sweepstakes as well so um we notice more than we would. like. I don't think I noticed Brie Larson so much the first time, but obviously I do now. I knew her from Scott Pilgrim, so. Oh, I guess I knew her from Scott Pilgrim, but I didn't make that connection. <laughs> well, um, do you want to go ahead? You, you got your rundown ready to run down then? Do yeah, you? I'll run it through the plot and then we can get stuck into those actors, I guess. Yeah. Those on the path, remember the vow. Be aware and authentic. In World War II, a pair of fighter pilots crash on Skull Island. The fight is interrupted by Kong. 29 years later, in 1973, Bill Rander plans to search the island for monsters who live in a hollow earth. He ropes in Lieutenant Colonel Preston Packard, a war veteran who is bitter to leave Vietnam without a victory under his belt, SAS tracker James Conrad, and anti-war photographer Mason Weaver. At Skull Island, Packard's men begin dropping seismic explosives to map out the island and prove Randa's Hollow Earth theory. Kong smashes the helicopters and scatters the survivors. One group, led by Conrad and Weaver, recruits the American World War II pilot Marlow and learns the truth about Kong, king of the island and protector of humanity. After trying to help one of his buffalo, Weaver even manages to befriend the big ape. The other group, led by Packard and Randa, vows vengeance on the ape and sets out to recover their heavy artillery. The two groups reconvene, and despite multiple warnings that the real enemy are the creepy skull crawlers, Packard injures Kong. 
Smelling blood, the Alpha Skullcrawler returns and begins a rampage. Through a combination of gunfire, slices with a ship's rotor, and having its digestive system pulled out of its throat by the tongue, Kong and our heroes succeed in killing the Skullcrawler. Marlow is reunited with his wife and meets his large adult son for the first time. Meanwhile, Conrad and Weaver learn about the other giant monsters who will soon battle to prove once and for all who is king. So long as cinemas can open again without fear of very small monsters. You gave like the post credit scenes like like ten percent of your summary. I guess there's a lot in this one. <laughs> well, this is peak. Every single studio wanted their own MCU. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well. Wait, wait. What happens again in the in like the the post credit sequence? It's I can't um, remember. Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson are just like in an interrogation room, and then they show them a bunch of cave paintings of like Godzilla and Ghidorah and Mothra and stuff. Oh, to basically like this is the this is the shared universe. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like the next one we're getting is Godzilla vs Kong. You know what though? I I like this shared universe much more than I like the Marvel shared universe. I'd much rather I'd much rather have a a a, uh, a cabinet of creatures, you know, to, right. to take out and have fight one another. Like, way, I'm way more into. I think that. a lot of people's minds are shifting that way because ten years ago is all about Avengers, a- MCU. But yeah, I guess it, you know uh, you get fatigue for a while. Yeah, thirty films giant, in, you're gonna start feeling it. Just want some giant monsters. You instead. Of- yeah, I always, I never was a superhero uh, person growing up. I mean, I loved the X Men cartoon that was you know hot in the '90s. I loved Wolverine. I loved Gambit. Um, Batman was cool. Um, but I never really got into. I, I guess I, I was a little bit more like DC than I was into Marvel. I was just, I was never into Superman or anything anything like that. So it's funny. I mean, it's probably because my my dad wasn't a huge fan of all that. He was way more into monster stuff right. like the Thing, um, aliens. That was what I grew up on. So makes sense. I was a, I was a superhero kid, but I was way more of a monster kid. I used to go yeah. and buy old like VHS tapes of like seventies Japanese Godzilla films. That was my favorite. So, oh hell yeah, yeah. I I'm so gutted that these films are not as financially successful as the superhero films because I want I want five of these a year. I don't care about Black Widow. Give me like Mothra three. Totally. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, you you gave me the ham fisted one just trying to throw on the Marvel names on this one. But here here's here's one. Um, we talked on Sunicon how there's like near the beginning of the movie there'd be like a sitcom with the boat going around right 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 this one has like an alternate version of Step Brothers I think in the middle of the movie with uh, John Riley and, and his, his Japanese stepbrother with the mildly disapproving natives as they're trying to do their project oh man. yeah yeah, yeah. So I, just, I was just watching I want to see like that version of Step Brothers kind of shoehorned into this movie <laughs> well we were talking about how this came out in a crowded year um, this came out really close to Thor Ragnarok yeah. And it, it's got that same feel where it's like, it has serious moments, but it also has loads of comedy and it's so colorful. Mm. And it's just, yeah. it really breaks I, away from that. Everything is just brown and gray and beige. I do think that Taika Waititi and uh, Jordan, the director of this, this film, are, are similar in that way in that they're really good at finding this balance between 
these light, like genuinely funny moments, not your sort of like one-liners that you're used to for like one second of 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 you know relief in in your sort of standard sort of Marvel fare, um, but actually you know kind of almost like that sort of Princess Bride type of tone where where the comedy feels just as in place as some of the big action sequences, and that's tough to do. I mean, it's really hard to strike a balance between that stuff, especially in a monster movie. Well, most of the comedy comes just from, like, the characters feeling like they know each other and are friends and are having a laugh. Right. Which which helps as well, because this film has a, a big cast. And I couldn't tell you... Huge couldn't cast. tell you all their names, but I, they, I got a little feel for the personality of each one, so I cared whether they got, you know, eaten... Yeah, when that guy that right, looks right, kind of right. like Cotter gets eaten, I was like, no, Cotter's going bye-bye. That sucks. <laughs> Which has yeah. to do with the mustache if, if people are not familiar with 70 sitcom Welcome Back, Cotter. But. Right. He got, like, <laughs> the most ridiculous death where he's just dragged into the sky and sliced up like pterodactyls. That one really stuck with me. Yeah. And the chaplain, I mean, he was a little addle-brain, but yeah, he he kind of... Guy, the guy that drank the the spider's um, flag, yeah, right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are some gnarly deaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some great deaths in this movie. So I guess if we go into the cast, the one that always surprises me because I forget he's in this film is John Goodman. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I when you mentioned the beginning of the podcast, I had an oh yeah, John Goodman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm watching it, and the credits come up, and the first name is John Goodman. I'm like, what? He's oh yeah, star? he is in this. <laughs> Oh, he's fine. He's good, but yeah, <laughs> he is just sitting around and. Gr- I mean, he gets the plot rolling, and then he basically just sits around grumbling till he gets eaten. Right. Yeah, he's in a good like two or three of my favorite films because he's in this and he's in Speed Racer. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah. That's like another one that people make fun of me for li- liking, but I think it's like was very much. Oh, ahead it's of its so time. far ahead of its time. Like every single film yeah. is ripping off Speed Racer now and doesn't even realize it. My yeah, they don't even. My only thing it. is, yeah, I exactly. saw it opening night in IMAX, um, uh, and probably kind of up close. So I, when I think of Speed Racer, I think of like migraines now. <laughs> but that's that's nothing wrong with the movie. I do like the movie. I'm just like, oh, I can't watch it again. I'll get a headache. <laughs> so it's one of those films yeah. that if you're not watching it in HD, though, you're just not watching it. Uh, watching it close yeah. up in the IMAX probably was a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Goodman. He's. He's mostly here just to like deliver exposition with an actor with enough gravitas that you don't realize he's delivering exposition. Right. He's not like a yeah. He's character character. Yeah, exactly. He's so he's so good at doing that stuff, and I love I love seeing him in these kind of like heightened you know these like heightened stakes because a lot of times the way that I feel like John Goodman is used is he is you know kind of in these like um, you know much smaller stories. Where it's you know very grounded and very you know true to I mean except for what was that uh, the Cloverfield like Netflix movie where oh, he was Cloverfield like the, Lane? the the yeah the crazy guy in the bunker or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But he's actually so funny when he's kind of like put upon and like you know in over his head and it's it it's it's a really great it's a really great dynamic. It's like your you know it's like your dad who who uh, you know was like super excited to you know take you on this like big camping trip and then it's he's just he didn't prepare right. He's he's in over his head. He doesn't <laughs> you know he doesn't exactly know how to like you know get you out of it. It's it's really yeah. funny. Well, yeah, I mean. He was Fred Flintstone, right? So he's got that put-upon-dad yeah. energy down pat. 
Right, right, right. He can do then that. If you want the Barney Rubble, what do you get? Tom Hanks now? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. A little more portly. If we get yeah, but there's. I'm just. I'm looking at the cast now. There's so many good people in this. There's um, uh, Jason Mitchell, who was who broke out. Um, at least for me, um, in the uh, the NWA biopic, he was fucking great in that. Um, John C. Riley, Sam Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, Toby Kebbell, who's great. He was, um, you know what he's also, you know what Toby was also in? He was in that great Black Mirror episode where they have the Facebook contact lenses and they can like watch each other's memories. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was the star in that as well. Oh, and Richard Jenkins, who I love. He's like the he's like the senator at oh, the very yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. who like starts like orders the mission like he's in um well, yeah, he's the he's step brothers well, as well step brothers. yeah he's, <laughs> yeah, he's step brothers shape of water he was in um so have good. you got um Mark Kev- Mark Evan Jackson there Kevin from Brooklyn Nine Nine oh yeah yeah he, yeah he's he's great seems he can only play one character but I never get tired of seeing that character. That's that's so many. You know what? And that's that. I I think you know, coming from somebody who's who's worked in worked in Hollywood, um, a lot of times that is not the fault of the actor. Yeah, he's it kind is of the, typecast. It is it is the way that the the Hollywood machine works. If you're really if you get kind of known for doing something and people like it, you know, they don't like to take risks. Right. In Hollywood, and and so you know, if he you're like, oh well, you're good at doing this one note thing. Well, that's what we're gonna keep hiring you for over and over but it's like you hear stories about like an actor who's kind of fat and they get told like no don't lose the weight they want you as the fat guy right right exactly right you'll oh no no you'll it's like don't get health god forbid you get healthy and like do something for your your own self like you you won't be a commodity to us anymore well i I guess sam jackson has become sort of the uh, megawatt version of that i mean he gets that nice like colonel kurtz overlay here so that's fun oh yeah i think (laughs) yeah there's there's a Samuel L. Jackson always brings a certain amount of Samuel L. Jackson, but he does play yeah. characters no, and he does no, act. No, he, he, he does act. I'm not disparaging. I'm just saying, like, in that Hollywood machine, there's definitely, you know, a, a major mm-hmm. spot for Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? He's Which, great yeah, yeah, in yeah. this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, fant- he's fantastic in this. He was written really well. He had a lot to, he had a lot to do. They gave, you know, he, 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 they gave him more than, than like, um, you know, Matt was saying kind of the usual, like, just do the Sam Jackson, you know, just do the, you know, no more snakes on this motherfucking right. plane or, or whatever. And, uh, no, that's, it's great when he really gets his, gets to like stretch his legs too. And, 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 and play a real, you know, a real human. Well, also, I feel like it's been a while since Samuel Jackson was the villain. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah. Kingsman wasn't. I mean, I guess ago. you could kind oh, yeah. of. No, I don't. But, uh, even that, I think. I mean, up on like ten years. So. Is it? Oh my! <laughs> Wait, did you? Ref- I was going to reference Unbreakable, but I guess he's not really the villain in well, that. Like, yeah, it's kind of the twist, way. right? Is that he's the villain? So. Yeah. Oh yeah, they did make yeah. Glass. So. They did make Glass, which I actually did not Same, see. Same, I've heard that I shouldn't. <laughs> no, I, I think most yeah. a lot of us just gave up completely after the the last Airbender. <laughs> well, no, because apparently Split was really good. Yeah. Split was good. I liked Split. Yeah, I need to go on that one at least. And I, I do. I hold out hope for M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, he's made actually some of my, like, one of my favorite movies of all time is Signs. Same. I really I, fuck, yeah. I love I like Signs. We're big Signs fans I, here, so. 
I thought that was like a really good kind of like alien invasion movie done in a way that was really clever. Oh, and I mean, you know, I mean, he's canceled, obviously, but it, an incredible performance from Mel Gibson in that movie. Probably one of my favorite Mel Gibson performances. I was watching Lethal Weapon at Christmas and I was just thinking to myself like, I really wish Mel Gibson wasn't such a piece of shit because I love his films. I know, I know. <laughs> Like, have you seen the one I he's know. got coming out? What women want? No, sorry, not the one coming out. Just oh, are you talking about the the yeah. scene where he's like, the, <laughs> "How the fuck does this shit get made?" It's like, oh my What's god, like, he got a film coming out where he is Santa and he's hired by the U.S. military. Oh, okay. So yeah, that Santa Santa himself is like a you know a like DARPA military operation or whatever <laughs> and he's like and like that that's actually what santa claus is and then there's like there's like some kid like a rich kid who like didn't he got get a bag of coal so he calls Christmas. out a hit on santa oh <laughs> yeah so yeah so he puts a hit on santa it's like on the on the one hand i'm like this is a funny premise like it's it's interesting but then you see how seriously it's taken and it's gibson playing this like old grizzled like Santa Claus? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I gotta acronym. see it, but I ain't gonna pay for it. We're, we're gonna get an acronym for Santa in that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I'm just sitting here trying to wonder what that could be, but... Uh, I'll, I'll... Saint and Naval Tactical Agent. Okay, sure. <laughs> not bad. Holy smokes, really. Not bad at all. Your ass? Yeah. All right. <laughs> It's, yeah, I, I dragged my ass out of bed too early to come up with that quickly. <laughs> yeah, I've been sat here drinking Monster for the past, like, 45 minutes, so I'm all good. Oh, yeah, I'm the one slogging oh, nice. myself on trains. <laughs> I miss those days. I used to I used to work as a, a quality, uh, quality assurance uh, tester for a video game company, and I would drink Full Throttle, which is like the Coca-Cola version of Monster. It kind of tastes like Fruit Loops in a can, and... I would drink like two or three of those a day, and I finally got to a place where I, I overdosed so much on caffeine that it gives me anxiety attacks now if right. I eat too much. So I have to like, yeah. Maybe that's when just I was like getting old, thing. when I was preparing to move to Japan, I used to work like seventy-hour weeks in a restaurant, and I yeah. was the same, like two or three of them a day. But now it's maybe once a month I'll drink one if I have to wake up early for something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, yeah, I was getting to the point where it was just fucking me up. <laughs> I've never had an American-style energy drink. Done. Don't get into them now at the age of, like, 41 or whatever. No, I'm just tripping out that I've never had one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there's a bunch. There's a bunch. There's, like, 15 different flavors of Red Bull now. There's, you know, there's, um, you know, seven different kinds of, you know, monsters. Uh, they've, they've even got ones now that have, like, CBD in them. So they're, like, they're supposed to calm you down. I mean, hey, capitalism, baby. You yep. Know? <laughs> I don't really go for the flavored ones because I feel like... Part of it is just the placebo effect of, oh, I'm drinking an energy drink, so now I'm awake. Right. So I need it to taste like medicine. No, I never yeah, wanted the I Red needed Bulls to taste like vodkas. pure energy. There you go. <laughs> no, I wanted the Jack and Cokes. I didn't want the Red Bulls and vodkas. Oh, I used to work until 10 p.m. and then go out drinking, so I'd start with two Jaeger bombs. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember, I remember the Red Bull vodka days. That <laughs> yeah. was not good. You could do some serious yeah, damage. Yeah, that, that the... kills people because... It's really bad. I'm. I probably drank too many of those. More than I'd like to admit. Uh, in my you know mid mid to late twenties. Now in Athens, Georgia, we had the Manhattan, which is the the I guess the old old version of the word hipster bar, where you could just do martinis and Moscow mules. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> everywhere in L.A. By the way, now, <laughs> before COVID, that's literally everything. You get a a Moscow mule and like a tin mug and. 
There's actually a couple cool absinthe bars that, that <laughs> opened in LA that are pretty that are pretty cool, but yeah. all that's gone now. Because that uh, blew my mind when I came to Japan the first time. Because the only place I'd seen a Moscow meal before that was that one bar, and it's it's pretty, quite a common one here. It's a yeah. pretty it's a pretty standard one on the menu in Japan. So <laughs> yeah. Where were we? Actors. We were talking actors. So I think the, the yeah, two we, we haven't really actors. touched on are Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson. Right. Um, yeah. So, I don't know if you know, but Tom Hiddleston originally auditioned for Thor, not Loki. And I, I did not I know could, that. I couldn't see it until this film. Yeah, And now, now I've seen true. him, like, jacked and badass and cutting up dinosaurs with a samurai sword. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. he could have been Thor. <laughs> Although- yeah, no, he... He's got a great intensity to him, like and like I was saying, I, I don't know if, if before we before we jumped on, we were kind of just talking talking before, and I was saying that it was really cool to see him like not as Loki because he's so ingrained, I think, in the modern brain as that character, and so to see him take on something else and and really be different enough, you know, different to the point where you do see these two separate characters, um, it was really nice. Yeah, I think he's had a few big TV roles in the UK. So he's got mm-hmm. a bit more like cultural cachet as not Loki, but yeah. Yeah. In it, America, it's just like, oh, he's Loki. Yeah, he's so Weird. different in this. <laughs> yeah, he's so different in this. No, he's he's great. He's got that. He really captured. I I, I think you know the, what's you know the, what's so cool about this about this movie. It really does kind of have that kind of like nineteen thirties like you know Tom Minks kind of like um, serialized kind of like action adventurer sort of vibe to it like it it really like thematically and how the film looks and you know the amount of sort of like we were saying creatures that sort of get introduced like it really does feel like a throwback to kind of the original source material where where all of these this monster stuff started and and he's really good at kind of playing like locking into that role without it being like too cheesy which I think could have very easily you could very easily in the hands of a less capable actor you could be like oh man super cheesy big buff guy like yeah well i guess that's interesting uh you're saying that where pierre jackson they literally did try to throw it in directly into that with yeah the, yeah right. they have like the the, the actor character who's yeah. meant to be like this making one, fun of that yeah, yeah exactly movie. yeah totally that's that's such a good point yeah this one i've heard there was a little bit of a um, jumping around where they wanted to do it there, there was an idea to put it like before world world war one at some point i think there were some um drafts where it was actually going to be a little more modern day and um mm. Uh, that's cool I, I brought up Colonel Kurtz because I, I think sort of the apocalypse now river trip ended up being sort of like hey we can kind of vaguely do it that way do right. the Vietnam thing yeah put like eight Credence songs on the soundtrack and uh, do it yeah <laughs> well, I love that Vietnam scenery so anytime I get to see that oh yeah you the colored it, so. smoke that's that's fun yeah yeah um, <laughs> just the, the like those like I mean, little mountains in the water and stuff realistically like I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but like when I write movies, because I, I do screen, I write screenplays as well. Um, that's how I do it. Is I, you know, to me, a screenplay is so often like a puzzle, and it's really hard to kind of just, you know, when you're putting a puzzle together, it's really hard to like imagine a piece out of thin air that's gonna fit exactly the thing. So oftentimes, what I'll do will be like, okay, like I need the scene from Aliens where Ripley comes out in the power loader, but like. But different, you know? But, like, that's where you'll start is you'll start kind of from the things that you love and you know and you know the exact kind of vibe that it and and the p and how that piece will fit in and then the fun really and the work as well is is to change it enough that it you know it it falls in line with kind of what you want to say as opposed to what that filmer filmmaker has to say um and i mean 
I mean, there are people. I just straight rip rip shit <laughs> because I'm like, no, I really like that scene. I'll do my version of it, and <laughs> and, and hopefully nobody will notice. I can vibe that from the from the musical direction. I was at first thinking, oh, I can't. I can write okay, but I can't write a story to save my life. But yeah, just different art forms. That's that's you know right. recombining uh, things you like and uh, trying to hide it so no one notices. <laughs> yeah, yeah t- totally. I mean, it, I mean, I think it works totally for music as well. I mean, I I dabble, I dabble a little bit um, on guitar and piano and stuff. And so many times I've found cool chord progressions by trying to learn somebody else's song and stumbling on like a change or like you know resolving on a different chord or altering it slightly and being like oh well that's an entirely new song now that changes it and then kind of building off those those foundations as well so i i I think that there's some line there's some there's some famous like i can't remember if it's uh woody allen or somebody but they're like you're they were like uh intelligence borrows and genius steals or something like yeah, that. I've, I, yeah, I know the one you're getting at, but I can't remember mm-hmm. either. <laughs> yeah, we can't remember. We don't have time to remember quotes 2021. Too much going on. Yeah, I, I once uh, made an album where basically I, I needed to write the songs quickly, so it's it's just the Beatles revolvers with all the chords transcribed backwards. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Hell yeah. I, just, I had this drum kit for about three weeks. I'm like, I need to write some songs real quick. Backwards chords and make some new ones. <laughs> Wow, I bet that sounded really cool, actually. Right, I'll make that. I'll, that's the music I'll use for this episode. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> but um, that's what this movie does. There's nothing particularly new in it, but uh, everything just, it's a cool recombination that I don't think we've really seen before. No. I don't think we've really melded the Vietnam movie with the monster movie quite like this. No, and I don't think that anybody has ever seen kind of. You know what it does really well is it gives. King Kong, which is in and of itself a, a very isolated kind of creature, right? I mean, he's, you know, even just the sort of archetypal images of it, right? Like, it's all alone on a giant building, swatting at planes, ever misunderstood. You know, it, it, it actually provides context for where King Kong comes from. And I think in some ways that that's kind of my favorite part about the movie is it, it creates, you know, I mean... I mean, it, especially uh, you know, Luke. You know, listening listening to our podcast. You know, one of the things that I love doing on the show. You know, when we when we write our skits, is creating these worlds. And I love that's kind of my favorite thing about about movies and and media and entertainment is and and video games. You know, too is is creating a these worlds that provide context to the things that happen within them. And this movie actually did that really well, where you feel like you kind of understand a little bit better where King Kong comes from you know what kind of things does he fight on his island and you know what's a threat to him um, that's also just a really a really in a way it, it humanizes the creature which you always want to do you know to some extent anyways um, it humanizes the creature because you know that you know that he, there are threats to him as well like that the crazy like two-legged thing what do they call it like the skull, oh, the skull crusher crawler? yeah yeah the skull crawler that's like Marlo that's calls it. <laughs> the, the beasts and and i was reading that that is actually based off a creature from one of the ver- like one of the the first king kong movie in the original kong it's in it for like a, right it's a like a two-legged shot. There's this one lizard. But I love the yeah. creature design. I thought it was super cool. The two legs with like the the kind of like tail and 
I mean, while we're on the topic of creatures, I mean, have we moved on from cast to creatures? Uh, I mean, yeah, let's, let's I get think. on to the, the cast we actually I'll care about, the cast of monsters. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, moving on. Brie, I love Brie Larson, but she's just, she's, she's doing her usual Brie yeah, Larson Yeah, just stuff saying here, that was but, the major yeah. one we didn't mention. So on to monsters and um, so forth. <laughs> yeah, but she she pulls it off handily, and, and she's got a tough job, too, because, you know, you're playing the photographer, and your sole purpose is there to sort of, like, capture what is going on. Um, you know, right off the bat, you're kind of a, you know, a more passive character right off, you, you know, right off the bat. So, you know, it is, it is, that is a tough role to play. Um, There's also a part of me that feels like she's there because, oh, it's a King Kong film, he needs to befriend a pretty blonde. Yeah, kind of blondes. She does it's baked into the lore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she does manage to feel like an actual character with agency rather than. And they show her photographs, which are usually pretty good. <laughs> and what's cool about it too is that she's not this kind of just like, like damsel in distress with like zero depth whatsoever. Like I really like that he he gave her a purpose and and made a you know had a female character that that wasn't just like. Oh my god! Totally helpless, grabbed by the monster, and because that's—I mean—that's kind of what it was in um, Jackson's. Oh yeah, right. I mean, she was like, well, she was like a struggling actress. I can't remember. I can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was all of that was straight from the '30s one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, then you you can't blame it because in the 1930s, I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean, you know, you're uh, yeah. She had she had spoken lines, so that was good for a female (laughs) character. Yeah, you're yeah. The misogyny, you know, in the 1930s, especially in Hollywood. I mean, it still is bad, but at least at least they're trying to get better. But well, I like in this one they made it like she tried to help one of the buffalo, and that was why Kong befriended her. It wasn't just like he saw her and was like, "Ooh, hello, I like this." Yeah, no, he saw her kindness, which is like an interesting turn. And so often I watch movies where there's no humanity in it. And I'm like, oh, man, like you could literally just added one tiny scene, one line here and there. And, and you know, to see to see them do that here and, and have that kind of turn. I respect it, you know. <laughs> But to the creatures, uh, I, I, was, I was just going to throw out for uh, Luke. Luke likes to um, basically state the character of Kong in each of the movies. Where where is this on the the Kong scale? He's purely heroic in this one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, mean, I would say so too. Uh, I like. So I guess if we're going to do creatures, I start with Kong. His um, so like the sort of the seventies, sixties version is clearly just man in suit. Yeah. And then Peter Jackson went too far the other way, and he's fully gorilla. He's like walking around yeah. on four legs, whereas here it was a nice balance. Mm. He was stood upright, yeah. but he was still kind of hunched and didn't look like a dude. Right. Yeah. So I really like this Kong design. He's a little yeah. bigger in this one, isn't he? Yeah. Well, the one of the reasons they didn't set it in modern times is because they want to have thirty years for him to be even bigger again mm. when he fights mm-hmm. Godzilla. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is coming up. Yep. Which is which I'm very excited. Yeah, about. I, I actually saw clips for from it for the first time last night. They're like fighting on top of an aircraft carrier. It looks insane. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, the 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 action in this is, you know, just speaking it, you know, comp- I mean, obviously there's a lot of time in between for technology to advance between Peter Jackson's version and this, but so often in these kind of things, it really, you know, it feels like it's just two computer th- 
things that are not, you know, that are matted onto a real background. And it just, you don't feel the weight of these creatures. And I thought that what this movie did really well was, was really convey that. I mean, you feel the weight and the size and, um, that makes for the whole thing. If, if you actually feel kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, in awe of, of this spectacle. Right. So I thought that that was something that they did really well. It does a good really job f- of keeping, keeping like the camera and the characters very grounded. Like I, don't, I think there's maybe only one or two scenes where it's just Kong and the monster. Usually there's some actors there as well. Yeah. There's something to give you a sense of scale. And, and that's, I was just going to bring up that point. The sense of scale is fantastic. So many times it's just flashing, you know, it'll be a flash of fur and fists. I, this is one of my problems with the, the Marvel, the Mar- some of the Marvel action stuff too, is it's so cut and intercut that you don't really get a sense of the action playing out in a wide in front of you. And this did, I mean, there's this, my, my favorite scene in the movie is, is when Kong battles the giant squid or octopus, oh, whatever, yeah, yeah. You, whatever you want to call it. I just happen to be a, that is my favorite favorite creature of all time is the giant squid i've been fascinated with it since i was a little kid um i read beast by peter benchley i watched the shitty um made for t- it wasn't that shitty but it was kind of bad the made for tv movie that was pay- pay- based after beast i loved uh 20,000 leagues under the sea i was just obsessed with this creature as as a kid and so to have and spiders those are my other that's my other fascination so for me this like ticked all the boxes because you have giant spiders and you've got this incredible battle with this like giant squid. Um, so I think I the um, the fight with the octopus. Have you seen the like the old Japanese King Kong versus Godzilla? No, I have not. At the start of that one, King Kong fights an octopus. Oh yeah. But I think I don't really like it because I think it's just a guy in a monkey suit punching a real octopus. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's some, there's some shots of the octopus where I'm sure it's real. Kong likes So I think they cut between a real octopus and then just occasionally picks up a rubber one and throws it around. It kind of makes sense though, right? Because they, they yeah, probably you know, right. they have a lot of ac- access to octop- octopi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is a just this is a total tangent, just riffing on what you just said. Because I found this on YouTube a few nights ago where someone has made a um, you can 360 mouse guided uh, VR recreation of the... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride from Disneyland. or just what? Yeah, yeah. Because it's been gone for years, and there's this VR recreation. It's actually quite good. I think it's a defunct land, so, yeah. Uh, oh, go, I will go absolutely that. check that out. <laughs> I was so disappointed when I went last time. Well, when, when I went for the first time having since that ride closed. Well, it didn't close, but they've now turned it into Finding Nemo. And um, so it's the, what they have is they have this technology where on the windows they're all on the submarine windows they're projecting um, animation. So it looks like Nemo and everybody is swimming by, and it's quite impressive technology. But I mean the the danger and the foreboding because I rode the original one when I was a kid where you actually see the squid and it's an animatronic, it's a big animatronic squid, and it's you know you could see the tentacles moving, and that just to me was like. But yeah, the coolest thing you can in, the live world. In, in the f- and then you can flip it around and see the chairs in the back. So if you've been on, you can like oh, flip that's around cool. and you'd, like see the interior of the sub. It's great. So yeah, have nice. a look at that. In the <laughs> uh, the I believe it's the Field Museum in Chicago. They have a like um, stuffed giant squid that hangs in one of the ceilings, and like uh, I was fascinated. Yeah, the by um, that. Yeah. the Natural History Museum in London has one as well. Yeah, they're crazy big. They're just, I'm just so fascinated, but that's like a real sea monster yeah, that like yeah, yeah. still exists, 
that like we don't know like there could be many of them it's just, they they live so deep like you just well, you, you, you never know you think about one of those washing up like a thousand years ago you can see where stuff like the kraken came from like <laughs> absolutely it's not hard to absolutely. make that leap no, absolutely, and no. I thought that this had a good. Squ- I uh, well, I guess it's an octopus, but I, I, you know, I was like, no, oh, it's a giant tentacled beast. Um, but it was a good. It was a great. It was a great fight. I love how it kind of when it first gets revealed, how it kind of like comes out of the right. water is really cool. I don't know if you spotted, but um, like a few minutes before you properly see it, you can actually see it. Like one of the tentacles come up in the distance behind Chapman. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they kind of tease that it's coming. Which I noticed oh, this most yeah. recent time I watched it. You mentioned <laughs> oh, as well that cool. you're into the, the spider. Yeah, 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 so that was a great scene. Real spiders freak me out. Like, I'm yeah. a little bit of an arachnophobe. But once th- once they get to giant monster sizes, they don't really bother that me anymore. Okay. Yeah, I was sitting there wondering, yeah. oh, I wonder how Luke... Because that's spider. not a spider at that point, it's just yeah. a, a beast. But I, like It's a monster, it's a, yeah, it's a beast at that point. But yeah, I sure. love those, like, bamboo legs on this one. The bamboo that legs first was kill tr- where it's, like, through the guy. Yeah, it was just great, and, and that shot where they kind of look up and it's, like, over them yeah. is just a, a, such a good reveal. So, so much about, like, cool monster movies and... and whether you know whether your audience i think is is wowed or not is how you reveal yeah, 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 the, yeah. the monsters and and this did a really this movie did a really good job of introducing all of its creatures in in like you were saying like you were saying it's like you could tell that the, that the director is like you know that he's got that kind of like game and i you know i happen to, i you know i happen to know that he's you know big big gamer fan he's going to do the next the, the new metal gear movie and it's like he does have such a good sense of like how to introduce like an epic beast, yeah, yeah. you know, well, like, in like the same way you would in a game where like first you see it out of the corner of your eye, then you have yeah. a battle where you can't really beat it, and then finally you get the real boss fight. Like, yeah, exactly, totally, totally. Well, and a lot of them you can tell are like specifically inspired by certain video game monsters, like the Skull Crawlers. Um, the the body shape is based on that King Kong monster. But yeah. the the skull head um, apparently is based on Cubone, which is my favorite Pokemon. It's the one that oh. wears the skull on its head. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. then like the eyeless face apparently is meant to be like an Evangelion thing. Oh, that's cool. Maybe that's where you found yourself like slightly underwhelmed by the monsters in Godzilla King of the Monsters because that one's just like plop. Here's the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's <laughs> this... no teasing with those guys. Yeah, this one definitely. Well, and it also. Everything we're saying about how this film gets the scale and the action right, Godzilla: mm-hmm. The King of the Monsters got wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's so many shots. Wait, which one was King of the? Which one was? That was King the one the that came out last year. That okay? That I did. I think I saw the first re- rebooted Godzilla. Yeah. See, that one had very which, small amount of monster action, but what it had was yeah. amazing. Yeah, I really, I really liked it. This, this, the King of the Monsters. This is where he fights Mothra. Oh, there's like Mothra, Ghidorah, Rodan. Loads of them come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotta see that. It, one. It's worth, I, it's worth giving a watch if you like monster stuff. Yeah, but it's just not in the same league as this or the 2014 one. Yeah, I think we were just. Yeah. I think we kept going on when we talked about that one. Oh, Skull Island. Yeah, <laughs> so, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Um, the Skull Skull Crawlers, Skull Crushers. What are they? Skull Crawlers. Yeah. Thank you. They, those are. You know, kick me in the head if I sound stupid, but that's basically the same as the Mutos. I don't think so. A little different. I was thinking that the Mutos was, were very insect. Yeah, I was just thinking that's where we get our our um, entrance into the Hollow Earth. Right. Yeah. Because they're yeah. coming from the same place, right? Right. Yeah. But I, this one, this 
my problem with the Mutos was that they were so generic and boring. Whereas the Skullcrawler, like, I can close my eyes now and see it very clearly. It had a pretty cool design. Yeah, it's a very unique... I'm just looking at, like, concept art and stuff, and it, it is such a unique... Such a unique design. It's like, you know what they did? It's like he he sort of got right what um the Cloverfield monster was going for, but, like, didn't quite, like, capitalize on... You know, oh, yeah, I mean, like the, the long limbs and this sort of yeah, the long limbs and the kind of like the disproportionate, like you know the le- you know basically that it kind of walked on its arms right. in, a, in a creepy way. Well, the thing with the um, Cloverfield monster is they made it so spindly, it didn't look threatening. Yeah, it looked so like you could just kick it and it would break its <laughs> leg. Whereas the Skullcrawlers, they are weird and misproportioned, but they still look strong. Yeah, they're strong and it moves really fast and it's kind of yeah, it's it it the, just the nature of the way that it's kind of like haunches are it kind of always looks like it's about to pounce, which is like really stressful. Yeah, it's good shit. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Cloverfield, the first one? Because I I loved the idea of it and of of seeing a huge spectacle sort of through the eye of a found footage. Thing. I thought that that was like a really genius thing, but I, I, I was a little bit disappointed with the monster. In yeah, it. I think I definitely really liked it on my first watch, but it's one yeah. of those films that each subsequent time I see it, it just gets worse and worse. When it came yeah. out, I was completely opposed to watching another found footage film, and its reputation has lowered since. I've never actually watched it. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> because you, you spend That's... most of that film not seeing the monster. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is so sick. But then yeah. when you actually see the monster, it is kind of disappointing. So I mean, now when I watch it, I know what it's building towards. Which is, I think also, I mean, to bring us back to Skull Island is really speaks credit to the film because here's a movie that has a bunch of different monsters in it. That means that you your audience has like, you know, 10 different chances to be disappointed right. in how the creatures look. I mean, so that's... It's really ball. I mean, it's really ballsy to do a movie with with that amount of monsters and have them all work. You know. Well, that's the thing. And if I, you approach it from like a film standpoint, that's insane. No one does that. It's but insane. But if you take it from a game standpoint, that's what every video game does. Yeah. It has like ten different monsters. So, I guess that's just yeah. like, is it Vote Roberts or Voight Roberts? I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm Let's not just sure. Say Jordan. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. But, but yeah, I mean, Jordan. I think is is going to be in that magical magical place that I think Hollywood has been looking for for years which is somebody who understands both worlds right. cuz usually it's one or the other right you have somebody who comes from games that like doesn't really you know doesn't really isn't really passionate about making a movie or vice versa somebody's passionate about movies but doesn't really respect the games or isn't a, a huge gamer themselves so i think i think if it, he i think he definitely has the potential to become that magic that magic director that can usher these beloved you know gaming franchises onto the screen in a way that does not take away from what people love about the game but also brings people who weren't playing the game maybe maybe into that universe well, i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing how I think it's partly just a, a generational thing right we're finally at the point where there's this generation of filmmakers who for them their whole life games have just been a thing they're a real thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's actually yeah that's true I mean, if I ever get a chance to make a movie like that, I mean, I'll I'm gonna be that because I grew up on games and I grew right. up on movies, and you know, I respect I respect that each of the each each of those mediums does something different, but I also am am fascinated and curious about where the crossover can be. Mm. 
Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking, like, what actually was the critical response to this? Because we're all like, yeah, it's the best thing ever, which, that's cool. Um, uh, let's see, Rotten Tomatoes, 75%, Metacritic, 62 for a monster movie. I guess that's pretty highly rated. That's pretty high. <laughs> well, and I'll bet the... What's the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I know I don't know about the audience score, but I know it did make back like pretty good money. Which it's not yeah. as much as you wanted. No, as well. No, I want this to be as like bigger than freaking Avengers. I want ten monster films a year. But... B, pl- yeah. B plus. Which... That's pretty good for a monster movie. Yeah. Well, especially King Kong. You know, King Kong is tough because. Like I said, a lot of people think King Kong and they go, oh, it's a monster, or it's a big gorilla holding a lady on top of a building. I know what that looks like. I'm not interested. That's it. I think um, I think Peter Jackson's one did really well. Yeah. Because that, that's hovering more like Jackson. 80%. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, Peter Jackson. Well, that, I mean, clearly this one did amazing because he's he's helming, um, he's helming Godzilla versus Kong and... Uh, you know, and and this has kept these. You know, it's it's they made two, what they made a Godzilla. They made God knows how many Godzillas now. There, yeah, there's only been two Godzillas in this so far. Yeah, but there's been some Japanese ones coming out at the same time, so it muddies the water. Yeah, um, and then the water is quite muddy if you want to go into the past. Well, yeah, it's wonderful mud, of course, but <laughs> yeah, I th- I feel like between people who like monster movies, I feel like this is people talk about this one as one of the recent kind of beacons of beacons of light in in an otherwise sort of you know mish mishmash of stuff that either just doesn't get made because it's really tricky to do monster movies nowadays because there's the but it's so but you know so effect heavy right. and you know everybody's you know everybody's afraid to to combine like the practical effects and the cgi like you you know you it's it's hard to make it's hard to make them relatable you know and everybody wants to do you know it's like the the way hollywood is sort of kind of shake shaken out in the past you know a couple you know past i don't know 10 years or so is you essentially have like big tentpole marvel movies and then you have the small kind of like oscar bait independent movies and like that's sort of it you know it doesn't feel like it's, it doesn't feel like you know the you know the city sort of like opens room for a lot of you know stuff that's really swinging for the fences well the um, i mean the film which kind of almost does a monster thing and was super successful is the transformers series yeah that's they're all true. giant robots smashing stuff up but somehow that got away with no one really thinking of it as a monster thing that's true i guess considering our film is filming has changed in the past year uh, a monster movie may actually be somewhat more um something they want to do now yeah <laughs> yeah so you can you know do it all remotely outsource computers i mean even filming you know it's a monster people are spread out you film one person it might be something we actually see a resurgence of just from practicalities i hope so yeah <laughs> that would be great i mean one of my one of my i mean recently the stuff that comes to mind um was um uh, the director of Parasite, his the his oh the host it was his first movie, but the host was one of my favorite favorite monster movies That's of a good all end. time. Did you ever uh, see um, Shin Godzilla? No, I didn't. It's it's completely different, like end of the spectrum from this one. It's very serious and quite dry, but yeah. um, it really deals with like it. The, it's all from the point of view of like a government minister. Um, and the film is basically Ooh. about how Japanese red tape stops you doing anything. Yeah, but when yeah. you get the monster scenes, they're 
priest. When I watched it, I think that's kind of what I would have expected for having not seen Cloverfield. That's kind of what my expectations of Cloverfield would have been. Right. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, but again, the shaky cam. But Shin Godzilla is filmed rel- well, filmed reasonably well. Uh, it's a yeah. Toho production, right? So. <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing that stops Skull Island from being like a full ten out of ten monster movie for me is they never leave the island. So you never mm. see like cities and stuff getting smashed up. Yeah. But maybe that's actually kind of what saves it because it gets to just have like this Jurassic Park feel instead. Yeah, I would I would ar- I would actually argue that 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 in that it's much better for you to be left wanting that than for him to have tried to do it. Oh and, yeah, to try and squeeze it into this film would have been overkill. It would have been like um like here's a great example. Jurassic Park the Lost World. You have that scene kind of at the end where the T-Rex comes back and it's smashing through the stuff and it's like well that would be a cool movie in and of itself right. but as tacked on to this kind of ending thing that was actually my big problem with the latest Jurassic Park uh, Fallen Kingdom that felt like I two that films it, it was two films and the thing is the second film would have been amazing if you did it like the original Alien and it's a, like a, a family in a house, and it's being stalked by like a velociraptor. Oh, I mean, oh, that would be so cool! I, Such an interesting one of direction. Those films could have been really good, but the fact could they have tried been to cool. do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you got to get all of the dinosaurs off the island before the volcano. Hit. I was so that's invested in that, and then it was yeah, finished at like the thirty-minute mark. <laughs> yeah, the thirty-minute. It's basically your first act, essentially, yeah. and then your break into two is this kind of like weird capitalism like like military you know yeah. military sort of like war machine shit no, and it no. also meant that we just got so little dinosaur yeah yeah i never saw the second jurassic world because my nephew eight or nine at time for an entire year like every monday he'd come up in my room at five o'clock i'd have to play like an hour of one of the jurassic parks or the first jurassic world movie so <laughs> i was pretty burnt out on by, by a year of that right <laughs> Yeah, the first ones are the first ones, all right. Even yeah. he could, yeah. Even he eventually he realized it. that the second and third ones were crappier. But like <laughs> the Jurassic Park series is one of those weird things where the first film is a straight up masterpiece, yeah. And none of the others since have been anything more than just okay. Yeah, they yeah they've all been just okay. It is yeah. Even this even the second even as like a kid kind of or like a you know an adolescent going to the theater and seeing the second movie, I was kind of like. Mm, like this isn't quite as good and even then you're not even going to critique the movie you're just going for like dino- you know yeah. to see the dinosaurs and stuff but yeah then you like, get I like a this... girl doing gymnastics and kicking a velociraptor and stuff so yeah I felt the same way about um, Ninja Turtles 3 Turtles in Time I remember even as a very little kid like going to the theater and being like oh movies can be bad like, <laughs> movies like movies with things that i like in them can be bad right still, yeah. vanilla like ice is a sad you. sobering that's lesson too. i know that's my that point. Point. <laughs> vanilla ice didn't get you in the second one <laughs> cool as ice <laughs> um but before we move on from monsters entirely i've had this joke i wanted to use on the spider and didn't get to use it oh yeah charlie's not just in the trees charlie is the trees <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as we were talking about the bamboo spider that came to me and I was like 
I need an opportunity, but they keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing <laughs> Yeah, this was this spider was like a better version and like a scarier and and you know b- obviously bigger version of the spiders from the first um, Jumanji film, which I thought were kind of scary. I don't know if you guys remember that with there's this, with Robin Williams the first Jumanji where uh, the spiders like come into the house and they are kind of these very like long spindly but with like the really bulbous thorax. They've kind of got like the widow sort of shape to him. I think I've repressed that memory because right. I remember that yeah. I never wanted to watch Jumanji again and I couldn't remember why. Ah. So I think that must yeah. have scared oh. the shit out of me as a kid. It must have. You know why? <laughs> because they're not so huge. They're like yeah. this big. Yeah. They're big enough That's the that sweet like... That's spot as... for me, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a game out now called... Um... Oh, God. I think I know the one you mean. I can't remember the name. Is it one where you, you shrink down to like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It... Being chased by spiders the whole time? Yeah, yeah no at the very beginning. <laughs> oh, Grounded, I think it's called. I think you're right, yeah. Something like that. It's on Xbox Early Access and, and on PC. But there's a, a, a at the very beginning of the game, there's a message for people like you. And it's like, it's like if you do not like spiders, like, here is a slider. And what it does is, like, as you slide it, you know. Oh, the creatures down, get less t- spider-ish, right? Yeah, what it turns the spider, it basically like removes the legs and turns it kind of into like this friendly looking cloud thing that comes after you. But boob dude, but the the spiders in that game are so scary like when they when they they sneak up on you, it's 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 a, that's a really cool game. I'm I'll, I'll actually be looking to see how the development goes on that cuz I think there's a lot of potential there. One of my big early obsessions for me was War of the Worlds. Oh yeah. So the the sort of the big spindly tripod kind of monster design really gets mm-hmm. me, and the spider yeah. felt like it had a bit of that, especially when it looms yeah. over them and you see the legs coming down. Yeah, that's so true. It is kind of it does have that sort of War of the Worlds like um, oh god, what's the uh, Escape from Witch Mountain? Um, there's kind of like similar similar uh, creatures. Are you are you talking about the Tom Cruise yeah, War yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Worlds? Oh yeah, fantastic movie. Yep, really intense. But yeah, there's something really otherworldly about really it. Good. Just like a big thing with these legs that don't really look like they could support it. Just yeah. sort of drifting towards you and there's nothing you can do about it. And that really gets me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's good stuff. So, uh, that's good stuff. I was born in Woking in the UK. Which yeah. is where H.G. Wells lived and it's where the original novel is set. Oh, cool. And then they've actually got a couple of big metal statues of the tripods in the town centre. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they're really and, cool. And scary a little bit. That's, I mean, but that's something that, like, on, like, the one European vacation that my family took when I was, like, in high school or whatever, if we had seen that, that would have been, I would have been obsessed. Although, I, you know what we did stumble upon on that trip is we were in Gruyere, Switzerland, and we were walking by this, like, building, and we looked up, and there was, like, an alien, like a a Giger's alien. Oh, nice. and I was like, that's so, I was like, that's so weird. Like, why is there an alien? Why is like my favorite creature, like above this, like random, like doorway in Gruyere, Switzerland. And it turns out that's where HR Giger was from. And it was the HR Giger museum. Oh my God. So nice. We, and so we went in and they had suits, all the original suits from the first movie. Um, the dining, t- the, his dining room chairs, which looked like human spines coming up and you would sit in them and they like exactly fit the curvature of your spine. It was so rad. And I spent all of my time when I went to Europe looking for like urinating Renaissance fountains. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I saw this in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, it's got to exist. <laughs> I, th- I think we've 
eventually found some. There are a couple. There are. Yeah, we, we eventually found some. I remember one of my one of my most vivid memories when we went when we went to London was um, there was this, and I was probably like fifteen or sixteen. There was this like four story arcade, and it was like the biggest oh, the arcade. Yeah, that I had ever seen in my life, and it had all the games that like you had to that like were seemingly so rare in the states. Like, there's one where you got on a skateboard and like you could actually like move the skateboard and you would kick back and your guy would do tricks on the screen. It was like, um, and I remember I remember wanting to stay so bad, but my mom, who's an English teacher and hates video games, was like, "Oh, this place is giving me a headache." So I was extracted from it, just like. Looking at like all of these amazing arcade games, me and my little brother, are like, oh, we want to play so bad, but <laughs> alas, I guess I'll have to make a return trip. I, I think the one in London's gone, but if you come here, there's plenty of arcades. <laughs> yeah, we don't have those. Arcades are really not a not a thing in the states anymore. There's there's still sadly. a big thing in Japan, but it's like eighty percent music games and photo machines and gambling, yeah. and then a, there'd be like one floor of the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm down for the, there was some like I know that they're starting to incorporate like VR stuff into arcades a little bit more. Yeah, there's one in uh, um, Akihabara in Tokyo that the whole top floor is just these big VR like chambers, and I I really want to give that a go. It looks pretty crazy. Yeah, if I had like endless amounts of money, I would get like ten. I would like buy like a coffee shop or whatever, and get. 10 good rigs with 10 headsets and then those treadmills that they're coming out with with the shoes that you can like run on it and rent it out for like parties and have people like come in and do like you know battlefield like 5v5 with their friends that would be pretty cool i think that would be so cool okay i think that's us done on monsters (laughs) yeah i guess yes we've i guess we've okay the one i briefly want to touch on is the big buffalo things yeah. To, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous creatures. There's a monster in Monster Hunter that's very much like that. It's called the Durambaras. Oh, really? And I actually used to when the first podcast that I did that had a few listeners was a Monster Hunter podcast. I still do it now. Oh, sweet. And when we covered that monster, I, I was trying to tweet at Jordan to try and get him to confirm if there was a connection. <laughs> <laughs> he never replied. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! Yeah. Well, maybe he'll maybe he'll hear this, yeah. and, he'll, and he'll yeah, and he'll let you finally know. Please, whether, please hit me up. He got the idea. <laughs> I thought he was just here to represent the age of Taurus, man. So, obviously, one of the reasons I invited you on is just because I know you're a lover of, like, big, dumb action films. But mm-hmm. also, you're a guy who does a conspiracy theory podcast. Yes, yes. And this film is all about the Hollow Earth. Right, right, exactly. I mean, this goes back to, you know, we've done episodes, actually, on the guy who really started this shit, Admiral Byrd, who who was super-pilled and basically claimed that he had flown into a cave like on the North Pole basically and and landed his plane and was sort of uh, embraced by a, a whole community of people who've been living inside the earth which uh, which has you know of course spawned you know millions and billions of conspiracy theories since then but um, yeah I love that aspect of this because that's the kind of conspiracy theory that I used to love as a kid there are secret aliens and underground civilizations and 
you know, yes. against this man and stuff. But it, if I feel like these days, anytime I try and get into one of these conspiracy theories that's just fun and sci-fi and weird, I get like two pages into Google and suddenly it gets racist and anti-Semitic. <laughs> yes. So it, like, where, really... where does that turn happen with Hollow Earth? Um, well... Uh, let me try to think. Maybe I'll start with the happy I believe, version. Well, there's, you know that, that Hitler uh, was very much into, you know, like the Nazi Volkish occultism. He was totally into this, like, weird, weird myth. I, I can't remember exactly where it comes from, but um, that there was, like, a race of, like, Aryan giants that, like, lived, like, inside the earth and stuff. Uh, okay. So it, it inevitably get, goes goes there. Um, I think I've heard Nazi and, tunnels going from Germany to like Argentina and Antarctica using the Hollow Earth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, in in the first the uh, in Iso Cameron uh, uh, Giacomo Casanova's uh, book, which is the first real sort of like literary mention of of the Hollow Earth, um, he talks about like a, a he he talks about a, a tribe that like you know that that he interacts with. Um, in in the story at least that he that he wrote, um, and the depiction of them is incredibly racist and not good. <laughs> I mean, it's always there's always some. It it sucks really because, you know, it's like, you know, I, I want to run on a platform of you know less less racism and less racism in our conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it it sucks too because like over the past four years especially. You know, I was an avid, uh, you know, Reddit R conspiracy board lurker, right? And to watch that become an entire politi- entirely political. Um, the the problem is with a lot of conspiracy theories is that it's somewhere baked in that part of why it's a conspiracy is because the new world order needs it to happen so that they can take control and. When you start to dig deeper into the New World Order, you find that a lot of people just think it's the Jews. Right. I'm just thinking if I go, if yeah. I go to a country that I don't know much about and I come back and I tell you my stories about what I saw and experienced there, um, if I people with more knowledge would see me as being horribly racist and trying to do my description, probably. Because I just don't right. understand what I'm seeing. Well, yeah, one thing I run into is I often put pictures up on like, my Facebook and Instagram of... I go to a museum, I put on the samurai armor, I take some pictures, you know, scowling with the sword. Yeah. And every now and then I'll get someone commenting like, oh, nice cultural appropriation. I'm like, I literally live in Japan and some Japanese people asked me to do this. Like, <laughs> they're like, come over, come over, put the armor on, it's going to be good fun. Like, Yeah, I, I think that intention and context um, are side notes and yeah. now a, a, a lot of ways people don't want to you know i think that in a lot of ways the the 24-hour news cycle and beyond i mean it feels like more than a 24-hour news cycle now well yeah, it's 24 um, hours but you've got four different cycles simultaneously yeah but you've got yeah 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 four Is different cycles it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't really allow for people to look beyond their first initial reaction or the first piece of information right. that they sort of ingest and so we do kind of like, not like, but I, I, I think that we are vastly approaching a culture where your initial reaction to something is the information. Yeah. As opposed to 
understanding what your initial reaction is, and then trying to look at the larger picture. And that's that's really what we try to do on the on our podcast is we try to paint a full, complete picture of, of what is going on, why people are getting radicalized to QAnon, um, that sort of thing. Um, and not everybody likes it, to be honest. Um, I think that there there are a lot of people that want the answer to be oh well it's you know it's Russia or it's foreign intervention yeah. and that's why it's like or, this. or, or, or even s- just to be like oh they're just they're just racist white kids in their mum's basement simple as that yeah, yeah they're just yeah they're just they're just all white supremacists and they're all losers and yeah it's not that well, that's you know the thing which I mean I really like about your show is that you touch on the fact that yeah these guys believe some crazy stuff but the problems that they're concerned about are real. Yes, there, it, there are these big failings, and the CIA is really fucked up, and all of this stuff yeah. is true. They've just taken the wrong turn at the end of it all. Well, it's because the people that are in a position to to offer the information and and confirmation that that some of the systems uh, within our United States government are are incredibly problematic, they have too much vested in it, or there's there's money in it, or for whatever reason, or they're all friends because they all once you get to a certain level, you all kind of hang out with one another and you go on each other's shows and you talk. Yeah. And... Well, whenever I, whenever yeah. I talk to Matt about presidents, he's like, "You don't get to be president unless you're already compromised." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people were a lot of people were hoping that that wasn't the case with Donald Trump, but as I saw with a bunch of tweets, uh, I was reading a couple tweets yesterday. Basically, they said, you know. Uh, for a guy who who claimed that he was going to drain the swamp, who didn't, who pardoned, you know, uh, like Little Wayne, as opposed to people like Edward Snowden or Reality Winner or you know Chelsea Manning, like you basically lost against the swamp. Like you, you didn't do it, you know, you didn't really do anything. He'd also been pumping millions into both parties for years before that, so it was bullshit course, from the start. Of course, right? it was bullshit from the start. I mean, just like ever, 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 everything it was. It was, it was, it was such a big show, and and you know the idea that we that that people were led to believe, you know, that there. I mean, the, the perfect perfect uh, explanation of why QAnon exists, right? You know, you have a you have a president. He claims he's going to drain the swamp. He claims he's working for you. He claims he's going to arrest the, the the corrupt politicians. He does none of that. You need to invent a narrative in which that is happening behind the scenes. Uh, much like we're starting to see now, that even even um, in liberal circles, there are people that are starting to cultivate this QAnon style thinking like uh, Donald Trump, like, oh, I'm watching Pacer and their sealed indictments. I think this is Trump and his family and SDNY. I mean, nobody is safe from this yeah. because there is no justice. I think yeah. people feel like there is no real justice. And so, and and the, you know, we're, we're piped into such separate echo chambers that now politics is just the person who's uh, political belief is opposite of mine is evil. Yeah. You know, it's communism versus Nazism. Yeah. And hey, there are definitely some neo-Nazis like on the right. I've seen them. They exist. They're, we should be worried about them. We should be monitoring them. But I don't think the majority of, you know, people are, are neo-Nazis and I don't think the majority of people on the left are communists. Obviously, you do have your, you know, you do have people that would identify as both. Um, but this kind of rhetoric where uh, we can only see each other as enemies is 
not good. And and no matter who's president going forward, um, it is something that has to be addressed or else people will slide further into this disconnect with reality. And you will have two... I think the only way to address it is to actually reconnect it with the people. Well, I mean, the you basis. look at countries like Sweden where the people are a lot happier, it's because the connection between the actual populace and what the politicians are doing is so much stronger. It's a exactly. victim mentality versus an empowerment mm. mentality. If you're a victim, this is being done to me. All these injustices yes. are being done to me. I need a savior. And you look in weird places for it. With a little bit of empowerment, it's like, well, there's some horrible things going on. Let's I mean, go fix it. Uh, fix it how I can. I can't, yeah. I, I can't go and like drain the swamp myself, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but I can, you know, I live my life the best I can and hope that reverberates out, you know. Um, so yeah, exactly. You can focus on your community. You can vo- focus on your local, your your local, uh, you know, election tickets, um, th- things that are going on. Um, you know, that's so oftentimes where I think that we're kind of instructed to argue about things that we can't really change, that we don't have control over, and we're sort of ushered away from looking into the things that we actually could, you know, you know, do ourselves. So. It is. It is a really tricky situation, and 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 I mean, it's so. It's such a nice. It's so nice to be able to talk about something fun like uh, <laughs> like Skull Island. Yeah. Because yeah. It's it. It is a. It's such a nice um, uh, break from, you know, essentially, in my work, it's it's looking at a problem that that. It's like, fuck, I've got a theater degree, man. Like, none of us are journalists on the podcast, and, like, we're the de facto experts on this shit. How did that happen? Because the journalists aren't doing their jobs. I I went to journalism school. It's like, how did that happen? It's like, we're dangerously unqualified. You know, so many times people will hit us up and say, how do I get, you know, how do I get my relative out of this? How do I do this? And we're all like, well, we're, none of us are like mental health professionals. Like, you should really, you know, you should really ask somebody who knows, you know, who knows what they're talking about. Um, but it's, yeah, it's like, like, uh, you know, Luke was saying, you know, it's been, you know, weird as a listener seeing this go from this kind of weird internet project to like national breaking news, like every single day. It's, you know, it's, uh, it was definitely a sign that (laughs) that the system has failed. If we're, if we're the people that you're looking to, uh, for answers on this kind of stuff. I was talking with a coworker yesterday and one thing, I mean, the Japanese national government is not impressive either (laughs) you know (laughs) but one thing that japan has where it's not seems to be just eating itself alive like america seems to want to do is again at those community or local levels things are generally relatively stable um i know Mm -hmm. there's town hall meetings in america now where you'll get people just spewing like you know, national level rhetoric at each other, which is insane. It's yeah. like, let's, I can't fix that. Yeah. I'm here to just, talk about yeah, whether let's we get the garbage pickup, yeah. you know, squared away first. <laughs> I, I also feel like that in, and I, I got this from my brother lived in Japan for a year after he graduated from university um, teaching English. And one thing that he, he said that was very interesting is he said, you know, um, when you walk along the sidewalks, there are these big, guardrails and he didn't know what it was for and he asked somebody and said oh well because people get drunk and they want you know they would kind of wander out into the streets and get hit and so they put in the guardrails and I think that America in so many ways is in absolute denial 
about the what happens you know amongst its citizens i feel like in some regards japan is like no we know what humans do and we know how they act and we're gonna put things in place to prevent them from you know hurting themselves or doing something really stupid you know whereas america it's kind of like you know you try to put in systems that keep people from either hurting themselves or others and they're like well you're taking my freedoms away <laughs> i mean you've got half of you know not half of the country i think realistically it's more like 30 30 percent or so but people who are like well joe biden is gonna usher in communism and it's like the end of the world and it's like you couldn't be further from the truth even if bernie sanders had won the primary and won we still wouldn't be ushering in communism. We would have maybe a little bit more socialism sprinkled in with our democracy. You know, a little bit of health care here, a little, bit of, a little yeah. bit of, you know, minimum wage there. You know, just it's, 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 it's so, we are so in um, disagreement with the terms defined by the generation that came before us. And so I think un until we really start having those kind of conversations and um, admitting where our faults lie on both sides, you're never going to have any kind of unity. And 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 honestly, let's I mean, you know, not to sound conspiratorial, but we're, we're much easier to control when we hate each other and not the people that are enacting the policies. Yeah. So now I feel like we're moving to a future where all social media is just going to be this like Tinder app. And you just you swipe right, liberal cuck. You swipe left, cancelled. That's yeah. it. It's just... Yeah. That, again, that first reaction you're going to yeah, be judged it. on. That you get first a new reaction. story like ah, liberal cuck, ah, cancelled, ah, liberal cuck. That's it. There's nothing in between. I do find that when I talk to people who are, um, you know, quote unquote, red pilled. Uh, the best way that I've been able to make any kind of headway with them is by first admitting like hey you've got some real grievances that are real and true and i understand it yeah you know um and if if i think if people that are in positions of influence are are unwilling to do that i i don't see i don't see anything changing unfortunately there's another thing uh luke's called me on this a few times i don't even understand what being red-pilled means anymore <laughs> like, that, that well, comes from a generation a where it would pill, be right? like a but you come from a generation where that would be kind of a left-wing thing. Yeah. Being red-pilled is seeing the, the, the actual real problems. Mm. But now it's being usurped right. where it's... You see those problems and then somehow that turns you into... Oh, it's the women and the minorities are behind. Yeah, see, I'm like, oh, red pill. Yeah. Now we're like more enlightened, right? No, 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 no. Now, now you're you're men's right, dude. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I've always taken it. My sort of interpretation is that when you take the red pill, it it's the realization that uh, the Democrats who claim to be these moral sort of you know beacons of of um uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for uh. Uh, sort of like pillar pillars of goodness and decency that you realize they're like oh wait they're not as good as they think they are you know I, I and then and that's how it's why it's specifically become conservative because it's like you know nowadays I think that the red pill means is like oh well conservatism is actually the good thing you know because so many people we see so many QAnoners will say like oh I voted for all you know I was a support a, you know staunch supporter of President Obama and all this stuff um and you know who knows if that's if that's true, but I've, but you know you you hear it enough to and and you know especially with movements like Walk Away, you know you do have these movements that are gaining popularity of people who are you know sort of fed up with the democrat you know democrat 
Democrat pandering, and who's left to turn to? I mean, there are only two real. I mean, your Green Party. There you go. Labor, that's the whole problem. Right? You've got a two party yeah. system. And I walked away. Exactly. Away myself. <laughs> All the way to Japan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as long as you've got, you know, the Hatfields and. And obviously, you know, I think one party is is far less dangerous than the other. I think that, um, you know, right wing uh, right wing ideology generally lends itself to more violence. You know, the 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 example I use is that there were a a good amount of uh, Democrats who, after the twenty sixteen elections, thought that the election was stolen by Russia or by you know Trump and his things. But they, you know, they got out and they marched peacefully. They didn't storm the Capitol. There is an inherently less dangerous ideology there. Um, so it, it, it just, you know, it's it's sad. And, and I, I don't think that we're without hope. I think that um, people are generally, you know, people are generally good. And, and I think that when you can feed your family and, and like, um, like Matt was saying, you know, when you're, you know, when you're, when you have ownership or you feel good about yourself or you feel empowered uh you know some of the racism and the shit that's been passed down to you for generations and generations becomes less important because you're less angry and it might still be there and it might still live but it, but it, at least you you don't feel like you you need to put it out into the world and i think that's that's a huge a huge change that we've seen in the last 4 years is i think a lot of people um feel like they've been given permission and um, that it's okay to act like this and that it's encouraged, you know, in fact, by the president of the United States, which it is and or it was. And so, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think that this is going to be sort of left with us for a generation. And, um, you know, we'll... There's a story. I, I, hope... I was going to say, if you want to actually tie it back into Skull Island a little bit. Um, yeah. This film is like directly post-Vietnam. And I feel like that's when a lot of these feelings first appeared. Of like, mm-hmm. oh, we we're not all powerful, and like Samuel right. L. Jackson's whole character, it's like he just wants to feel like he has some power and could win something. Because he he'd given, a I guess it's implied he'd given like fifteen, twenty years of his life to the military, and he's walking right. away with nothing to show for it. He's going to go home and get spat on. But here's yeah, here's the war. He yeah, exactly. He can win, right, and he is because that's yeah. what happened after Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like again, he's the baddie of this film, but that is a real grievance. Yeah, like. The troops who are over there, it wasn't their decision to enter this stupid war. <laughs> like, I, I have never supported a war that my country's fought in my whole lifetime, but I don't blame the troops for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, so many of them don't have any other choice. Well, you know, the economy's words. built to leave some kids with no choice but to join the military. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great, great, uh, great way to tie it back in. I mean, as for me... I, I, my thought is when they're flying into the storm, it's like, now I'm going to be the person that stays on the boat, you know, smoking yeah. weed and listening to that record player. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's what I'd fully want to go into the storm, but you know the dumb shit I do. So. <laughs> I tried to walk through the mountains in the middle of winter and nearly got eaten by a bear already, a couple weeks back. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're already in an exotic, you know, locale in the middle of the Pacific on yeah. a boat, so we're good to go. So, but you were born 79. Yeah. So... Vietnam was obviously over by the time you were born. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but how much was it a thing that people were thinking about as you were growing up? Platoon, Hamburger Hill. Okay. Born on the 4th of July. That's literally how we got... They didn't teach it in school yet, really. So right. It well, was Hollywood that gave us uh, kiddies what, our taste of Vietnam, I guess. We were talking about World War II recently. You were saying most of that you didn't really learn in school. You picked it up 
culturally before they even mentioned it in school. Right. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever learned about Vietnam in school. No, I mean, I... obviously it wasn't our war. The UK wasn't involved. We didn't talk about the Falklands. But I don't, I don't think... No, but we didn't learn about that at school. Either. Oh, okay. The only war I remember coming up in school were World War One and World War Two, mm. Because it was a long time ago and we can convince ourselves we were the goodies. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, they never really touched on any of that in school. You just hear about it. All I hear was like newspaper propaganda. No Napoleonic right. Wars? We get into that, yeah. Well, we, I think we learned a little bit about okay. like war rally and stuff, yeah. but... But what? you should listen to um, you should listen to uh, Trillburn on Twitter his his podcast he does a podcast all about Napoleon it's a, it's incredible <laughs> oh I listened to your episode about um, Napoleonic conspiracy theories yeah so. he's he's amazing and if you want uh, if you want to watch a really like deep cut interesting uh, Vietnam movie which I believe is one of the first found footage movies ever made it's an eighties movie called eighty four Charlie Mopic um, which is like one my my dad my dad. Uh, showed it to me when I was when I was growing up and it's about a reconnaissance team uh, like a, a like a, a news a news crew that goes in with a reconnaissance team in Vietnam and the entire movie is shot through like the news camera's lens and it's I haven't watched it in a while but I remember it very much affecting me when I was growing up and being like this is like doing this movie is like doing something different and it's really cool to see like a found footage movie before they knew that it was gonna that that was gonna be like a genre in and of itself. Right. It's really really interesting. I don't know if I can handle that right now because last year I watched all five Rambo films in one week, <laughs> oh, and by yeah, the end of it, I be... just lost my hope for humanity. Oh yeah 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 yeah, you lose yeah you lose because it it's you like it pretty they they take place over like fifty years and it's just each time it's just humanity's worse and worse. In the book, he just ends yeah. it all in the first one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Apparently, I think they shot that ending. Uh, yeah, probably. And then. Stallone wanted to have the opportunity to make sequels. For which, are, yeah. Did you see Last Blood, by the way? No, I'm not a Rambo uh, guy. Okay. I never, yeah. never have been. I, I, I'm not a huge Rambo guy. I'm much more of a Schwarzenegger fan. I love Schwarzenegger. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm much more into it. But, like, it was playing in the theaters, and I thought, yeah, okay, I'll watch all the Rambos. It's yeah. grim. It's real grim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, do you it's care so if I spoil bad. something from the last one? No, please but, do. So, I'm it's, it's basically like a watch. Taken thing, but he's fighting... Um, Mexican human traffickers and at the end right. he lures them all back to his complex kills them one by one the last guy he pins him to a wall with his bow and arrow and then pulls his heart out well here we get a <laughs> that's like, and, Kong and that's the good guy that's digestive. the good guy is doing this to someone we got a digestive tract pulled out at the end of Skull yeah, but that's, that's a dinosaur that's yeah, one exactly thing right that's not monster. just a dude <laughs> yeah I know yeah it's not a dude who's like screaming for his life who's already been incapacitated like it's like fuck me it's crazy I, I can see why people thought that film was like does Stallone just hate Mexicans yeah I, know, I don't right? I don't think that is the case because it has like he has like a he's living with a Mexican family and that's why he does it he just hates the cartel yeah. But it still comes across real fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's still you just have like five movies worth of like this like b- jacked white dude just Goes like killing, killing like other scores and scores yeah. of brown people. Like it's just not a good look. No. The Taliban. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like well, yeah. The um, Rambo three ends with that message about the brave men and women of Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Times change. Yeah. So, so, so... We've we've moved pretty far away yeah. from Skull Island at this point, I so... Guess, I guess we'll wheel this one in, but... Uh, as far as the monster universe, uh, they're batting pretty well. I mean, we didn't love Godzilla King of the Monsters. I didn't hate it either. I didn't it. hate it either, but two good ones. Hopefully, uh, oh, please, the new one be good. We just like that 
Just some nice King Kong and a Godzilla action that we can all it's, smile. It's gonna on. be it's gonna be tight. They, they, I, I, I have I have faith. Yeah. I liked Freddy versus Jason. No one else did, so we got that going. <laughs> I like Alien vs. Predator. I like Freddy versus okay, Jason. There we go. I thought that there was. Go. I I thought that was fun. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, yeah, uh, another Endgame reference. Yeah, we were kind of just finished with that track, and why why not some monsters now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that they have got like ten more Marvel films coming down the pipe. I don't really feel like I need them though. Yeah, oh, maybe Spider Man. Yeah, I've. I'm like, I saw Endgame, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of marveled out at this. You know what I am looking forward to, though, is the new Ghostbusters. The um, Oh, really? Uh, Jason, Wright, Jason Reitman. Because all, uh, all I've seen is that first trailer, and that, that did not turn me on at all. Because it didn't even, it oh, didn't even I, look like I a comedy. I, I mean, I wasn't necessarily, I, I thought that the trailer looked okay, and I'm a, I'm like a big yeah, Ghostbusters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, mega fan. Um no, I liked. I mean, maybe I think I was just so I was so sour on the way that they, the way that they wrote the, the reboot the reboot that came out in twenty sixteen. We're both big apologists I, for the reboot, so. I, I, cool which I, I cool which I saw, <laughs> which I saw in uh, which I saw in the theaters, and it was like it was a fine you know it was a fine like comedy, but it I just it just didn't feel like. Ghostbusters well, that that's to me. one of my big problems with all of these Hollywood reboots is. If it's not going to feel like the original, just make a new film. Yeah, just make something new. But yeah, totally. Parody, but there's no money having, in that. Having Reitman's son, like, he wants to do good by his dad. I like Paul Rudd. I like the kids from Stranger Things. I like the idea of of him working with kids in a small town using, like, the old technology from the, you know, from the original films to kind of... I don't know. I think that there could be something interesting no, there. I, yeah. I mean, we'll see I what happens. I do hope there's but... a good film there, but yeah. Just, well, it's, the, I mean... Trailer yeah, just, I mean... The trailer was just... Trying to touch, no, get the touching, pressing the wrong nostalgia buttons, I guess, uh, for some people. But the movie, yeah. the movie may not do. Well, that, yeah, trailers. So. Uh, you cannot judge a film on trailers these days yeah. at all. It's it's so tough, also, to do what what uh, Ramis and Aykroyd did, which which I mean, the reason that the original works is because their uh, Aykroyd is so pilled. Like he grew up in a in a house where his father was performing seances and stuff, and so he believes a lot of the stuff that is written into the movie. And Ramus was the one that actually was able to sort of bring it down to earth and and make it funny and make it a comedy. Just incredibly tough to do nowadays with how movies are written, um, what what the studios allow you to do. Um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, let's. Why don't we? Why don't we uh, put a cork in this one and we will reconvene <laughs> uh, to do an episode on that when it comes out. As soon yeah, as yeah, yeah. Are, you, are it sounds like fans. you're the guy to get in for that. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can. I mean, I have a full proton pack in my nice. closet. Like <laughs> well, full on. We also we have we also haven't done any kind of episode on the original Ghostbusters. So if you ever wanted to join us for that, oh, absolutely. I would. I'll talk. I'll. T- I'll. I my my. My feeling on that is that is it is one of the best, maybe the best comedy science fiction script ever written. Okay, so I will I will come I will come back on and make that case. <laughs> um, I guess we we should be finishing up. So could you tell us where you make your other cases? I think we're deep enough in. You can say the name of your podcast and everything. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So our show our show is called QAnon Anonymous. Uh, you can find it uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we put out an episode every week for free, and then there's like the weirder sort of premium content is is um, on Patreon for five bucks. You can subscribe, and there's like 200 episodes in total. So, a lot of stuff there, and um, 
you know, we do not only just QAnon, but we also do other conspiracies and sort of lean into it with, with you know, an analytical brain and try to see, you know, what's true, what's not. Um, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been, <laughs> you know, exhausting. But uh, come check us out. It's weird. It's it's fun. It might, you know, if you've got a, a loved one or, you know, somebody close to you that has fallen deep into the QAnon rabbit hole, it, it might help help you gain a little bit of perspective on, on what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah, I can confirm it's a good listen. I've listened to all of it. Um, I don't think it's done my mental thanks, health thanks any good. Thanks for that, by the but... way. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening to us. <laughs> yeah, it's a real good listen. Um, yeah, I guess I should plug our stuff. Yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, so if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Um, we do other podcasts as well. And if you want to hear those and support us, you can find us at Patreon.com slash PodcastioPodcastius. And if you've enjoyed the music you heard in this podcast, you can find Matt's music at RovingSageMedia.Bandcamp.com. Wow, you got through it all with the changes. That's impressive. I know. I hate, I hate how good I am at shilling. <laughs> hey, dem's the brakes. But yeah. I haven't thought of an outro. Oh, yeah, you an outro? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>